don't think I'm the smartest person, so it's not that. Okay. I think it's about hard work. It's about being committed to something and going through with it, not doing it 90% of the time, but doing it 100%. If you're going to do it, you do it, and you do it till you're five metres past the finish line. It's that commitment. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you, and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Welcome to Building Doors, Sean. Thank you, Lauren. (laughs) I'm going to give a bit of an overview of everybody listening about Sean. So Sean has more than 25 years experience in civil construction and he's on the board of directors for the Civil Contractors Federation in Queensland. He joined Giorgio in 2017 and has had an enviable career pathway since then as construction manager before being appointed as operations manager and now general manager for Queensland. Sean certainly stands out in his approach as he believes culture and relationships are the key to longevity in the construction industry, not only for the individual, but for the business. He actively encourages professional development to maintain a high performance culture in the workplace, and he cites growing the best people to work with and allowing them to reach their full potential as his own personal goal. Sean is definitely known for his happy nature and cheeky disposition. His spare time is spent with his wife, chasing their children around equestrian events and developing their latest property venture at Glamorgan Vale in Queensland. Welcome. Let's get started. So, Sean, you've really built your career from the ground up and you've stayed in organisations for quite some time during that progression. I think your journey and the way that you seem to be able to integrate your hobbies and the equestrian passion of your kids is really interesting. And there's a lot that people can learn from your approach and how you deal with the juggle as well. So I want to get started and understand more around why you actually chose engineering though. So if you're, you were looking at a career pathway, what made you choose that field? Became an engineer was a role of luck. My father's a sparky, electrician, I should say, has farming background. So I was always outside, always on the tools, whether it be yellow pliers, putting lights up and PowerPoints for the old man or a set of fencing pliers, building fences and chasing cattle. So I always wanted to be outside. I knew that. My marks were reasonably good at school. So I sort of indicated that I had to do something with it. If I had my choice, I would have gone chasing cattle and flying helicopters and (laughs) been in the middle of nowhere as a ringer and would have loved it, I'm sure. But I knew full well that wasn't going to be something that that fulfilled me long, long term. Would have been great when I was 18 to 20. So my girlfriend's mother pushed me into engineering. What? Explain that story. Susan, who's now my wife, her mum just said, you should be an engineer. And I went, okay, full stop. Really? So I started to study electrical engineering. Yeah. Dad's a sparky, made sense. And at uni, I learned that I couldn't understand the theoretical side of electricity which is what the electrical engineer needs to do. And I could understand civil engineering. I could see how that column holds up that roof. And that's how I became a civil engineer. From there, I fell into a company that was smaller sized company. It aligned with my personal beliefs and the rest is a love story. What do you mean it aligned in your personal beliefs? So how did you make that decision with the first company to go with? Luckily, had a lecturer who pushed me towards Seymour White which was a small company at the time, turned over about $20 a year, family-owned. They operated out of a house at Archerfield. Really? So, yep, each the two directors had a bedroom each, which doesn't sound (laughs) appropriate, but that was how the house was refigured. I mean, there was a few dongers out the back where the rest of us worked, but they believed in paying their subcontractors on time. Mm. They were loyal to their people and their people were very loyal to them. 
And I mean, from the building background, because of my father being a sparky, yep. it very much aligned with your work you want to get paid. And they were, they were that was their ethos. And I believed in it myself. Because you've only ever really worked for two companies. Yes. Like how many people can say that? Less and less <laughs> as the years go by, to be honest. Absolutely. And so if you're thinking about like you chose engineering as a career, you started with them when, you know, there was just a couple of rooms in a house. How did you build a culture from that? So like, you know, there was such a significant growth there and now you're GM. So again, you have to still be able to build a culture. How do you do that? What are some of the things you've done to be able to successfully build that kind of culture? Well, I don't think I built the culture. The culture was there, but everyone loved it and everyone loved working there. Um, You wouldn't think twice about doing a 16-hour shift and backing up the next morning at six o'clock in the morning or working all night and just keep going because we really enjoyed being there and working for that company. And what do you feel, obviously a lot has changed since COVID, we've all talked about that, and the industry and the skill shortage and things like that at the moment is definitely having an, an impact. Do you feel the industry has changed since when you were doing it? Is is it still like it was then, or and what changes have you seen? There has been a lot of changes over the years. Obviously, um, for a positive, more and more women are getting into construction, which is good. I remember when I was first graduated you walk into the office and you'd be surrounded by people, magazines and cigarette smoke and you'd had to sort of like fight your way through to get to a desk where a lot of that's gone out of the industry, which is probably a good thing, but the hours were always there. Um, and I think we will struggle as an industry to continue. I mean, we will have to continue, otherwise we won't have roads and bridges and buildings getting built, mm. but we'll have to find a better way to draw people into the industry over the coming years to ensure it's, it's longevity. It's interesting that you made that comment as well. Do you remember you said that someone said to you, you should become a civil engineer? And I think that those organisations out there now that are going into schools like NAWIC, UNICU and other organisations like that that are going out there and saying, hey, have you thought of engineering are going to have an impact too because you were somebody where they said that to you and that obviously that someone just suggested it and you're like, yeah, I want to be an engineer. But Back when I was getting, I just got told I should be a teacher. I was like, really, is that, that the only option I've got? I mean, nothing against teachers, but I think it's changed a lot now. The reality is people lean towards what they are good at. So I was good at maths. Mm. So as a result, I tried at maths. I was average at English, so I hated it and I avoided it. So as a result, I ended up pushing myself to subjects that were aligned to engineering because I found them easier yeah. because I spent more time doing them. Mm. Mother-in-law probably was thinking ahead and that's why she put me into engineering and construction but I did align to what I enjoyed. I enjoyed being outside. I enjoyed interacting with people and what I do is exactly that. Mm. So yeah, how we get more people in the industry. Look, since I was a site engineer, I used to go to schools nearby more as a community thing or a comms thing, you know, either to talk to grade 10 and 11 and 12 is about, you know, these are your options and mm. sometimes you um, got to, to talk to the guys that were doing or the girls that were doing maths one and maths two and physics and chemistry. Other mm. times you got to the guys that were doing shop B and, mm. you know, woodwork and, and metalwork and then you explain more about the construction industry, not just engineering. Also went dressed as Bob the Builder to childcare centres and, <laughs> and talked to them. I didn't get many out of that, but I tried. Um, so, look, it's an understanding. I, I didn't even know what an engineer was while I was at school. I didn't even know they existed. No, and you wouldn't. And, I'm, you know, I think it's, it's definitely changing now. But it's interesting that you talk about, you know, you were good at maths and things like that. So how did it change for what you thought engineering was when you studied it versus when you actually did it? 
parents had a friend who was an engineer. He was a design engineer mm. and it was about halfway through third year, the, or actually it was, no, it was fourth year, so I was nearly out. And I went and spent a day there and I remember thinking, oh, what have I done? <laughs> I don't think I want to be in the office and designing stuff and started to panic a little bit because the degree is all about design. Mm. It's got nothing to do with construction. And I still find now when I get graduates in to interview that they don't understand the difference between design and construction and what that means from a life choice. You know, one, you'll be working in cities, you'll be in an office every day. You might go from Sydney to Melbourne to Hong Kong and working in an office in five-year chunks where a construction engineer, we're more likely to do six to 12, maybe two years, six mm. to 12 months, maybe two years on a job site mm. and move around a lot more, which is a great thing. I loved it. It was awesome, but it doesn't suit everybody. No. And it's interesting you went to design and went, oh, dear, what this isn't going to be the right fit, right? So I'm interested as well, you have had good progression in both the companies you've worked for, right? And I know you're very humble and you just you just do say that that just happened, right? But it, it doesn't just happen. You know, that comes from your core values, the way you operate at work. You've had progression. There's a lot of people that will be listening that will want to understand what it is that you did differently because look at the generation of engineers coming through. They're ambitious and many of them want to be a project manager quickly and you know that and you know that that is a challenge to mitigate expectations versus how long it's going to take. What have you learned through your career journey around creating building doors, creating opportunities? How would you look back and define why you've been able to do that? I don't think I'm the smartest person, so it's not that. Okay. I think it's about hard work. It's about being committed to something and going through with it, not doing it 90% of the time, but doing it 100%. If you're going to do it, you do it, and you do it to your five metres past the finish line. Mm. It's that commitment, which has served me greatly. Another thing is loyalty. I think, it was, again, it was because I'm not that smart. The amount of times I had people from other companies say, hey, Sean, do you want to come for a cup of coffee? And I'd go, no, I don't drink coffee, and walk away and not realise what I was doing. So as a result, I was extra loyal, but not realising. But I loved what I was doing, so it didn't matter to me. Mm. You know, I wasn't the guy that was knocking on the door saying, can I have a $1,000 raise? They came because I just worked. I did my job mm. and I enjoyed doing it. I had fun. Mm. I was always looking at ways to do what I did better. Production's always my thing, much to my wife's annoyance. <laughs> Even when I'm building stuff at home, it's, oh, I could get four pieces of timber out of that <laughs> instead of three. I just have to measure it 16 times, which frustrates the hell out of her. <laughs> but I'm not going to waste anything. And that has sort of come from my father most likely, mm. but is is probably served me well in the construction industry as well. That general principle of doing your best, cutting costs where you can logically mm. and going from there. Loyalty, again, as I said, I think that helped me immensely with Seymour White and again at Giorgio. Mm. Don't get me wrong, I've been tapped on the shoulder, but jumping at every opportunity from a getting propositioned is not a great idea. Mm. Take opportunities, but in saying that. So when I first started I was just so excited to get a job and they'd say, I've got a job for you, Mackay. And I'd be, okay, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> um, literally throw my swag in the back of a ute <laughs> and with one bag of clothes and get back two years later. Yeah. And loved every minute of it. But you had to be prepared to go and do that. And that time in my life, that suited wonderfully. Hmm. It's interesting. Like You're talking a lot about hard work and loyalty and I'm interested as well because your kids are a big part of your life as well. You talk about your kids a lot and I actually really like that because I think you – balance them and all your horse hobbies and stuff like that with your work quite well. 
what values, knowing what success you've had in your career and you see graduates and people, young people coming through, what values are you instilling in your children? So if you look at this, what values do you hope your children have? So hard work is obviously one. My son had his first job just recently and a friend of ours actually runs a photography company and rang him up at seven o'clock in the morning said, help, I've had two photographers not show up. I need Jaden to come and help me. So Joe drove 150 Ks to help hmm. and I got a phone call at nine o'clock at night. So Jaden's done a 12 hour shift on his first day ever. Wow. And his boss rang me up and said, he's still working. <laughs> And I said, yeah, that's because it's easy work. He's not using a crowbar. He's not using a drill. And he hasn't got me swearing at him because we've got to get this done tonight because concrete's coming tomorrow morning. So he's not complaining that he wants to go have a break to have something to eat. It has to be done. He's doing it. Mm. Yeah, he knows the buck stops there, and as I do, that sometimes you're responsible and you just have to make it happen. So that hard work is extremely important in my opinion. Mm. Honesty, you have to be honest. Mm. Thankful, got to be thankful. Those mm. kids have to say thank you. Always prepared to jump up and help out. There's nothing more that boils my blood that when someone's sitting down and even in a, a work situation where everyone else is having a beer at the end of the day for argument's sake and one person comes in late because they're still working and they're unloading a ute by themselves and no one gets up to help them. Mm. I mean, one in all in, yeah. in, in from that point of view. And my kids are very much like that. You know, they will pack the dishwasher, but I'll be up helping them, you know, and that's extremely important in their writing as well. Mm. That's nice. So I guess another question I'd like to ask, because if, if you're looking at the career success you've had and the progression you've had, what about mentors? Because there are all sorts of mentors available, both, I guess, people have different mentors professionally and personally as well. So if you were to look back on those people that have had that impact, who is that in your life for you? So chronologically, mum and dad, they're obviously massive mentors and I still reach out to dad if I've got a big decision or mum, totally different animals, totally different. One's very builder, very straight down the line. Mum's a bit of a hippie and she gets a feeling. So when you're <laughs> buying a property, hey mum, and she's like, oh, I get a good feeling or I get a bad feeling, which I don't understand, but there's got to be something in it. So mum and dad, and definitely the hard work from mum and dad is extremely important. Probably the next mentor would horses. I rode a lot and they taught me a lot. As weird as this sounds, forming a team with something that can't speak your language mm. and is so much bigger and so much more powerful you than you and they've got to trust you. Mm. Um, so that taught me a lot of life lessons about building teams, as, as yeah. weird as it sounds. No, it makes sense. And some horses you had to overpower, which sounds weird, and other horses you had to give them support, mm. which is the same as people. Mm. So they taught me a lot. Really weird thing to say as a mentor. Then as my career progressed, I'd probably say John Reedy was the most influential. John Reedy, uh, old project manager, was probably six foot four and four foot across the shoulders. We used to call him the Charolais Bull. Um, <laughs> so he taught me heaps. He taught me if I hadn't lost a concrete pour because of rain on his job, I hadn't tried. Mm. Like give it a crack. Don't be a sook. Get into it. And that was his big one. He taught me... I'd be remembered for the amount of fights I'd won, not how many I'd had. So pick your fights. Don't always fight for the sake of or, or argue for the sake of arguing, which I continually tell to my daughter, but she hasn't worked it out yet. <laughs> um, so that's a big one from him. He taught me so much, bite off as much as I could fit in my mouth and chew like all hell. Mm. That was his other big one. Or just give it a crack, Sean. Get into it and, and go. And never give him cheek when you're standing too close because he could punch really hard. <laughs> 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 even though he was about 65 at the time. But John Reedy, huge amount of respect for. 
Then obviously Gerd Wimberger, who was general manager at Seymour's, taught me a lot and he was very much a hard work. He was get the early, stay there late, make sure it's done Mm. and a lot about client relationships. Mm. And then Gary, Gary Giorgio, huge amount about staff and how important it is that relationship with staff and how important it is sometimes to ignore HR and go with what's right. So don't follow the policy sometimes, be human (laughs) and go what's right, if that makes sense. Please don't ask me to explain that further. (laughs) But, yeah, some valuable things like that. Yeah, and then Susan taught me I'm definitely not always right. That's my (laughs) wife, if you're wondering. Has taught me that the kids need my time more than my money, if that makes sense. Yes. Because sometimes you think, God, they're costing me so much. But she's like, well, they're not after your money, they're after your time which made that very important. Mm. So you say I balanced it. I don't think I did. I think she balanced it for me. Or I she definitely balances. see that. I see that influence. Yeah. yeah. The kids, wow, they taught me grey hair is earned. <laughs> um, they definitely didn't come with instruction manuals, but they've taught me so much as well, which is weird. So I think you get mentors from everywhere. I never had official mentors, but I've always had those people I reach out to and I still reach out to them whenever I need mm. big decisions. You know, yeah. I'm going to ask you about making the HR question because I'm curious. When, because I definitely can resonate with what you're saying around making the decision that may not be right on paper, but is the right ethical thing to do or the right thing that feels right when you're dealing with somebody. So tell me more about how do you make ethical decisions? How do you, what's your moral compass? I think I've got a good moral compass. I think I got that from mum. But I don't know, you know what's right. Mm. As a kid, you know to steal that Kit Kat's not right. No. And when you get older, you, you know the policy says thou shalt not let someone do this, but you also know if that person's got bigger issues, there's a reason why they're doing that. Mm. And sometimes following the policy direct will give you the same result as being humane or a human mm. and, and, and having compassion. It's like the Kit Kat incident, right, Stanley, but it, the stakes are just higher. There's more involved. It's not just a Kit Kat anymore, right, like it's business decision. So, Yes, and I think if you, you show that compassion, and the person knows that they've actually done something wrong, Mm. there's a pretty damn good chance that they'll show compassion back and they'll do what's right as well. Mm, I like that. You've been able to demonstrate progression, hard work, strong family values and strong family influences like from a young age as well from your parents. What about the challenges you've faced? So, I mean, I think a lot of people, it's good to talk about what's great, but it's also good to talk about what's real and what can be challenging. So if you're looking back on your career, what's one of the most, I guess, challenging times that you've overcome? Probably when I first had kids. Susan was very sick following that and that was a pretty full-on time in your life. So, yeah, that was probably the most challenging and I probably skirted it, to be honest, and then skirted around it Mm. and put myself into work because I didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. But in saying that personal challenges You've always got personal challenges. Nothing's easy and it gets harder as you get older. I don't know how, but it does. It's supposed to get easier (laughs) as you learn things, but the challenges become bigger and different. Mm. When you're 18, the challenge is, oh, which nightclub should we go to tonight? Where later on in life is, oh, (laughs) do I pay my mortgage or do do I do this or I do that? So the challenges get bigger as you get greyer hair, which is a positive thing. Yeah, the sickness thing would have been difficult because you're in a job that is full on and then you're trying to manage and be there for her as well. But it's not uncommon for people to throw themselves into work. I guess another thing I'm interested in is, you know, you've talked a lot lot about the industry. If you're looking back, by the time you retire, what do you hope has changed? I think we're going to have to get a more diverse group of people. 
One thing I love about construction, it sounds really weird as well, I'm good at those today, is I can pull up to work and on the left-hand side of my ute is a Jag, the boss's Jag or the boss's Porsche, <laughs> boss's Porsche. <laughs> on the right-hand side is a Harley with Rebel stickers all over it. I mean, that's cool. There's some diverse people that I deal with and I have to negotiate with and I have to, for lack of a better term, manipulate to get what I need done. Mm. So that diverse is great. But have we got a lot of women in the industry? No. Um, there's so many things that we probably are not diverse with that we need to encourage to make the industry grow. Going forward for the industry to survive, we are going to have to come up with a better work-life balance for all. Mm. Like I was at a, a UQ thing the other night and we got asked the question, there was three designers and myself about working from home following COVID and they went, oh, yeah, we're great. We work from home three days a week. And I'm sitting there going, I can't hit a bit of a nail into a piece of timber on site from home. Mm. So there's only so much like a supervisor has to be at work to supervise the work that's there. The labourer has to be there and it's unfair for me to sit at home while they have to go to work because mm. I don't believe in anyone should do something that I'm not prepared to do, which mm. is another thing that's been instilled in my children. Yeah. Okay, so you've mentioned the challenging hours yourself, but you loved it. You enjoyed it and you liked doing it. And then there comes a point in, in life when you have a family and things like that as well, and you recognise that encouraging diversity and having more women is a great thing for business. When you say it needs to change, how do you think it could change or what are some of your ideas? Okay, so we probably have to think about hours and how we do that and flexibility. I mean, the great thing about working for a smaller company is you have that relationship with your boss. And if you reach out and say, I need to go to a specialist appointment, I'm the first one to say, see ya. Or mm. I've got a family issue, I'm, they come first, go. But yeah. Keep me in the loop, but go. Go deal with what you need to. And I think that's important, but that's not the biggest solution. Women in construction, Nawick, they... Um, listed all the things they've been doing recently, which is brilliant, going to schools, which is, as I said before, I did that as a junior engineer and it needs to be encouraged. I've been talking to Institute of Engineers about it. There's lots of things like that we need to do to really encourage people into an engineering perspective, but construction in a whole, we still need to get people in there. The desire to work in the sun is less now than it used to be 30 years ago. Mm. So that is going to become more and more an issue as we go forward, I assume. So it's going to be Probably increasing pay rates, which we're in the process of doing anyway, but looking at ways to possibly split shifts, try and encourage more options for mm. people. What do you think of job share? Do you think it's possible to, in an engineering role, which John's loving, I'm testing him on stuff, do you think it is possible to job share if you've got a CA, a contracts administrator, or you've got a, a project engineering role, given that there's FIFO rosters and things like that, and mining kind of does it with drill and blast engineers and things like that on their FIFO, is there option to do things like job share and that sort of stuff in the future as well? Depends on the job or the, the particular project, to be honest. So we've got a CA currently that works three days a week, mm -hmm. suits her small child, and it's a great solution for us because the job is not that contracts heavy. Yes. So there is options like that. I think we actually got it from you, Lauren. No, you have a, you have a three day one, and then you actually did get one that was four day from me. And there you um, go. not plugging that, but yes, <laughs> yes. So those options are out there. You've just got to find the time that it suits. It's a bit like getting a graduate, or an undergraduate. There's no point having an undergraduate that's at uni in Brisbane, and I've got a job in Mackay. It's not mm. going to work, mm. mind you. Following COVID and less and less hours at at uni itself, it it's a bit better. But you know, you've got to find the right 
right role and the right project that line up hand in hand. And sometimes it's very easy. Sometimes it's not. Best thing about COVID is it's made teams appropriate or mm. accepted. Yes. It's made working from home not a strange thing but an acceptable thing. Mm. But there's still only a percentage you go can do when you need to hit the nail in the bit of wood at the site. Or supervise a concrete pour or, yeah. yeah. So one of the things I wanted to chat to you about as well, because you talked about being a grad, you talked about going around to the schools, and a common question I get asked all the time in my work is from grads, how do I get an undergrad work or how do I get opportunities? And I think Everyone's relying on social media, so they're waiting for an ad to come up or they're waiting for something on LinkedIn. They're waiting for an opportunity to present itself for a grad. So if you were giving advice, say Jaden that says he wants to be an engineer or something. A surveyor. Oh, wants to be a surveyor, perfect. You know, and he goes to study at uni. What advice would you say on how he could get into a company and get some experience? Because that's a great thing to have at the end of uni. Yeah, uh, there is multiple things to do there. So first of all, unpacking it. Contacts into the industry are not that easy, but they're probably not that hard either. I mean, mm. I went, reached out to my lecturer. That's mm. how I got my first mm. start. Said, this is my background. Well, he knew my background, but I'm really interested in construction. Design doesn't excite me. He happened to be the lecturer, funnily enough, that was doing construction type subjects. Wow, that's a really surprising thing. And he put me on to, to where I started. Mm. Well, pushed me towards them. And, I mean, let's be honest, we as a construction industry and, and businesses, we are looking for those people. Yeah. You know, we're looking for the lecturer in the right area at the unis to say, can you put me onto a, a couple of good people a year that have the interest in us as opposed to in design? Yes. So we too are searching for you <laughs> uh, is the reality of it. Send the emails out, keep your eyes on LinkedIn and all that sort of stuff, but make your CV different. Mm. You know, every CV I get across my desk, this is my name, this is my high school mark, this is my uni GPA and the uni I went to, and this is my thesis. No offence, but everyone has got that. <laughs> you know, what makes me different? I'm Loza. I have pet goats. <laughs> I'll remember that. <laughs> True you story. Know, I actually is, do have pet goats. <laughs> it, but I'll remember that. You know, mm. and, and when you're sitting there looking at 10 different ones, you'll think, uh, oh, I remember Lauren. Yeah. Probably because of the goats, nothing else. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, it's, well, actually being an engineer, well, fair chance we'll remember you because you're female and that's <laughs> unusual in itself. Also, what do you do? What's your background? So here we go. You've got me into it now. My favourite thing to look for is country kids or where mum and dad have got a small business. To me, that means they know there is responsibility. Mm. If the cattle get out, you've got to go catch them. You can't bring someone else up to do it. If Or goats. <laughs> if the goats get out. If the alarm goes off in the pool shop on a weekend, Dad, you get in the car and go and turn it off and fix it. You know, so that responsibility is in there. So while it may seem weird to put mum and dad own a small business, put that you've worked there on the holidays because you probably have. Things like that. Working in hospitality, it proves great skill sets that you can talk to drunken idiots. <laughs> like, no, but you can negotiate way. things. You've had to do it with general public, yeah, which is extremely important because <laughs> that's what we do. I mean, you pull up Porsches on one side, Harleys on the other. <laughs> there is a great range of people at work, yeah, and there is a great range of people in a pub on a Friday night, yeah. So, put those things that are true, obviously, that will make you stand out and show that. You know, yes, I've done uni. Yes, I'm smart enough to pass my degree. But every other kid that sent their CV in is the same. What is different? 
I'm going to ask you a question that I get asked a lot as well around that because you've spoken a lot about what to put in the CV and what you're looking for that are that that are shows their character or their their personality as well as what's on the paper. How much weight should they put on grades? Because obviously when you're in the uni system, you're told, you know, I talk to a lot of students that go, oh, I didn't work because I was focusing on my studies. And and I always kind of query that and go, well, your experience is equally important, if not sometimes more important. What are your thoughts around how is it P's get degrees <laughs> or how much should they be focusing on their marks? Look, to be fair, your degree is a ticket to get the job. Once you've got the job, the degree gets put in a cupboard mm. or hung on the wall. Mm. And most things you learn in the degree are design related. They're not construction related. Mm. There's very little that I've used per se from my uni life, a little bit of programming and a lot of Excel. Mm was probably the two main skills that I used. Has it taught me a a way of thinking that I didn't know before? Yes. Like there's Mm. a lot of skills that are softer skills, I suppose, is a better way to look at it, that I learned through the degree, Mm. um, ways to problem solve and all that. But the physical mathematics that we had to do to calculate the steel in a column, I've never looked at it again. Mm. So is a GPA of six that important to me? No. Now I thought that was more important to the designing world, but recently had a conference with a whole stack of designers and they're like, no, if they've got a GPA of four or five, that's enough because we teach them what they need to do, right? Mm. So I wouldn't say P's get degrees because <laughs> you want to aim a little bit higher than yeah, that. Yeah, but yep, I do agree. Um, yep. But to invest your entire life just studying to get a GPA of 6.5 may not be the best investment of your time. Yeah, okay. And especially for going into... The construction. I'm interested that the designers are saying that they're not looking at GPAs because I'd always thought that they would. So, or not they, as closely. They look at them, but they're not as important as I would have anticipated them yeah, to be. Yeah. Interesting as well. I'm curious when you were hired way back when, <laughs> did they ever look at your GPA? Do you remember if you ever had to send that transcript through? So, I never had a nice character like me saying, this is what you should put on your CV. I think I didn't even have Google back then. Oh my God, I'm old. So my CV was exactly what I said. This is my name. This is my <laughs> the uni I went to. This is the school I went to. This is my GPA. These are my subjects. And this is what I've done as a part-time job the whole way through. Mm. To be honest, I missed my graduation. I was out two hours southwest <laughs> of Mount Isa on a job site in the middle of nowhere, which is a whole story in itself. So I didn't go to my graduation. So the first time I opened my degree out of its post pack that it was sent to me was 17 years out of uni. No. Wow. So. <laughs> How'd you go? <laughs> yeah, I got it, eh? <laughs> no, it, it, Good it's, to know. it's just not that, you know, you need to show it when you get your job starts. Yeah, yeah. here's proof. I have a degree. Yes. But after that, it doesn't get looked at again. I was curious if it did. I've never had mine looked at either. Mm. I've never had anyone ask for it. Like I've had a degree looked at, but no one ever asked for a transcript. It's crazy. And then there's so much emphasis put on it when you're at uni. You think that you, you're you all in your marks and you're late studying for that distinction or high distinction. Not that you shouldn't do that, kids. You should still work hard, but it's all balance, isn't it? Like, you know, if you're doing all of that at the detriment to getting any work experience whatsoever... So if I had a degree come across my desk, not a degree, a CV come across my desk with a GPA of four and a half and two years experience in construction or even two years experience being a labourer, I would grab that in a heartbeat over a GPA of six. 
with no experience. There you go. You've heard it here first, everyone. There are a couple of things to be focusing on. I want to learn more about your hobbies with, with horses and you mentioned that horses were like a mentor for you. I'm really curious about that. What do you think your equestrian hobbies and doing so much with the horses over the years has brought into your life and work? Probably I never realised it until my kids rode. To me it was just something I did through school because mm. my brother and sister had done it and yeah. I rode. But as once I had kids and I could reflect back on what I do is for a living and what they do explained it a lot more to me. So, for example, by the time my daughter was 10, mm. she'd had to make a decision to put a, bury a horse because it hurt itself. Mm. So how many kids have dealt with that sort of stress loss when they're, they're little? Yeah. It's a pretty full-on decision. My son had to pull out of state and national events because his horse was sore. You have a choice. You compete at this, which you've worked for for 12 months, and risk hurting your horse properly or you scratch him and he competes next, you know, in a month's time and, and gets back here. Mm. So they've had to make some pretty decent decisions as small people. Mm. So I think that's a great skill. It's a great life lesson. Yeah. You know, so many people get to 25 and they've the worst thing they've ever had is the Labrador, family Labradors run away. It's gone to a farm. Gone to the farm. <laughs> um, it wasn't until I got older that they realised they don't actually that, go to the farm. That yeah. was. So there's lessons that they've had a lot of horses and each horse has taught them a different thing. Mm. You know, as I said before, some horses you have to be their friend and support them. Other horses you have to convince them to do it and there's plenty in between. Mm. So they've had to form that balance. They go, go from hero, like today they could win everything, tomorrow mm. they go out and for no fault of their own they lose because the horse shied at a yellow flower or something of the sort. Mm. So you go from, yes, I'm the king of the world, <laughs> to I am crap. I've, I can't I can't even get on the podium. So, you know, that life skill is, is that's life. Mm. Like, you know, you can go from winning every tender this month to not being able to win one at all. Yeah. And that's, you know, so there's a lot of, of skills around that. The other one is discipline. It's five o'clock, get out of bed, go to your horses before you go to school. You are not getting fed tonight until your horse is fed first. Mm. There's a lot of discipline around that. So the kids ride under lights a lot at night because by the time they go to school with me or travel with me in the morning and get home at night, it's dark, so they ride in the dark or with the lights on. Mm. Sean, I know that one of your core values is family and we've talked about that quite a few times and most people that would work with you would know your kids' names and it's a big part of your life. So... One of the things I've always been interested in is you work really hard, right, but you're able to juggle your kids and spending time with them and work. Tell us about how you do that. How do you integrate both? Again, like most things, I fell into it. Jaden, we moved from one sort of town to the other and we swapped the kids' schools. And after 12 months, Jaden asked to go back to his old school. Shout mm. out to Nudger College. Now, for him to do that, he had to come to work with me every morning because we live out on the western side. Mm. So he was getting up at 5 o'clock coming to work with me, having breakfast with me, mm. studying while I was at work, then catching the train, then coming home in the afternoon doing the same thing to get home. So as a result, he started to come to work with me and formed a relationship with all the guys at mm. work and girls. Man, it was kind of like he was the little mascot. They'd go, <laughs> you know, because they hadn't seen their kids go to school and some of them were too young to go to school, but it was like, have a good day, <laughs> go forth and learn, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. And and. So he became more part of the team. Uh, come back in the afternoon, would help out, you know, whatever he had to do, we'd do. And then after a while, Tamika also has started to do that. So now that Jaden has a car and drives, I don't have to take him, but I have to take Tamika. So because we have 
I spend a lot of time in the car, she now has become a little PA in the car. Mm. So I'll interview while I'm driving home. Mika will take notes. Normally we tell the interviewee that I have a small child in the car with me. When I say small, she's 12. And we go through from that point of view. So they are part of the team. The business unit knows them. John Giorgio, the owner of Giorgio Group, comes over and will talk to Tamika for long chats and not even talk to me. <laughs> they are part of it, which is really, really good. And it's given them a lot of skills in themselves in talking to adults. They had it before, but they are very open and, and happy to talk to adults and hold adult conversations, which is also a great skill mm. they need to have. So, yeah, they tie in from that perspective. I don't know if it was great management or just good luck or like normal, I fell into it. Have you missed having Jaden because he now he's driving and stuff? Have you missed having him around? Yes. Look, in all honesty, I have been one to wish it away when your kid is or child is young and you're going to those horrible Saturday morning <laughs> swimming lessons in those <laughs> hot indoor pools and it stinks of chlorine <laughs> and you've been out the night before when I used to drink. And it was so painful and all I could remember was thinking, God, I can't wait till he can swim. I can't wait till he's out of nappies. I can't wait to I don't have to go to rugby, then this, then that <laughs> on a Saturday and then go horse riding with him on a Sunday and, and I can't wait, I can't wait. And well, last year he had his learners so I just couldn't wait till I could drive myself again mm. to school. So he finished school. He got his licence two days later and he was in Sydney working for three weeks two days after that. Wow. And I literally said, shit, he's gone. Where is it gone? So, yeah, I do miss him, so don't wish it away. And what is the legacy that you want to leave in your life? Legacy in my life will be my kids and making sure that they've got the skills to be happy. They can define success, but to be happy and successful, whatever that may be. From a work perspective, I hope that I can leave with our business how important people are and how the way you treat people people matters. And it pays dividends. Yep, I see that in you. Sean, because you are the man of one-liners, the audience would be lacking if they did not get to experience the Sean one-liners. What are your top three one-liners or quotes? Okay, so probably ones I use to my kids. Hard work is not an elective. You haven't got a choice. You need to do it because laziness infuriates me. There is Oh, it boils my blood. Find what you love and it's not hard work to do it then. So if you love doing something, you'll just do it. Mm. It's so much easier to go to work if you love it. And if you're having fun, you've got to have some fun. Mm. And for my daughter, three pedals are better than two because as a 12-year-old, you obviously know how to drive a manual car and you've spent so much time that you know automatics are no good. Awesome. If you would have funded charity, what would it be and why? I think I've funded a lot into the charity of equine. Okay. Pouring all this money into the kids and the horses. Look, I think to fund a charity or to start a charity? You'd be starting it. So you'd be funding it and starting it. To start a charity, I think you need something that you've got passion for. Yep. And I think that depends on the time of your life. So when Susan was ill, I would have started a charity to solve that problem. Yeah. So it'll be about what happens in my life when the time is right. And would it be that charity now you still feel? Like the one when from when Susan was ill, do you think that you'd you know, if you were no. to do it now? It'll be something different. Okay. What would it be? I don't know. Depends what happens in my life, Lauren. <laughs> but what about now? It's not for baby goats. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Horses maybe. No. Okay. So it depend on your stage in your life, what charity you find. So. you got to find something that pa you're passionate about. 
And you don't want to leave out any charity by saying a charity because then there could be another charity there. And there's so many things that we back. We constantly as an organisation are, are backing charities. But if I was going to start one myself, I want something that I'm so passionate You'd in. have to be. I don't care that I'm investing 200 hours a week in it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Because if you find something you love, it's not hard work. Oh, there we go. Look at that. That's a quote. <laughs> That's a quote. You heard it here first. Okay, Rocket Round. Favourite book? I haven't read for a little while, but used to love while well, I'm reading Les Norton or Grisham. Okay, yep. What book? Do you have a favourite that's a book that no? No. Just authors. Either author. Is it John Grisham? Is that it? Yeah. I only know that because my husband reads the same book. Holiday Destination. Any showground on the East Coast. Nice. Cats or dogs? Hooves and hounds. Hooves and hounds. <laughs> coffee or wine? Oh, I don't think you drink either. I, I haven't had a drink for 11 years, so iced coffee. Iced coffee, yep. You didn't used to drink coffee when you were younger, but you drink coffee now, right? Always drank iced coffee. Yeah, but you said that when you people used to approach you, remember you used to say? I never drank hot coffee. and still don't. Oh, just cold. Mm. Okay, okay. White Christmas or summer Christmas? Never seen the snow. Oh, so you can't choose. Okay, so we're going to go summer? Yep. Yep. What podcast are you listening to right now? Gary Jublin. I okay. catch killers. Awesome. And what makes you feel like you're home? Home is in the house. Is the red cattle dog wagging its tail or the fluffy moodle? <laughs> um, home is in home. Susan, the kids, and a horse. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Look, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've even learned a lot now. I feel like I could probably go study, you know, and get a job as an engineer. Like, you know, you've given me all the tips and all the tools are there for me. No, but I really appreciate your time and I think that it's been a very honest discussion and you've really given people, I think, a lot of insights into people that are wanting to start a pathway in engineering, people that are wanting to understand what it might be like, what challenges they might have and how to be successful in that field. I think you've given a little good insight. So appreciate you coming on. I think the big thing is find the company that's the right size for you, that you can relate to. It aligns with your morals. And if you can do that, it works fun. And that's what it's about. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next time.